0: Second Corinthians chapter 5. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> second Corinthians 5. I'm going to drop you right in the middle of the context of Paul writing his second letter to a church in a town called Corinth. It's a Greek town. It's a town filled with all kinds of terrible culture. I mean like like the world we live in and the church had fallen into some of that. He's bringing them back by way of doctrine and here in 2nd Corinthians 5 17-21 through 21, You're going to hear verses that are in some way familiar. And a couple of these should really stick in your heart from from verse 17 down to verse 21. Grass withers and the flowers fade with the word of our God. Stands forever. Let's begin verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, Father in heaven I pray in the name of Jesus by your spirit that you'll help us today. I pray that you would unstop ears that they might hear. We pray that you'd pull the scales off of eyes so that your people might see. I pray that you would call men and women today from death to life, from darkness to light. We pray that you'd use this passage. God we pray for our church. We trust that you have planted us here, you put us here so many years ago. Before anything was here, now you've brought the people. You've brought them, Lord. Built all around this building, all around our neighborhoods. Help us reach the people you've given us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A childhood accident calls Elizabeth Barrett, who would be Elizabeth Barrett Browning childhood accident caused her to spend most of her life as a semi invalid. Because of her condition, because of her frailty, Elizabeth Barrett Browning's mother and and especially her father, you know how dads can be. Her father was a bit overbearing, overprotective, so much so that when she fell in love with Robert Browning, the man she would marry, when she fell in love with him, her parents forbade her from seeing him. When she decided to marry him, her mom and especially her dad disowned her. In fact, her father's approval was so upsetting that in 1846, Robert and Elizabeth Browning sailed for Italy. She would live her life exiled in Italy. Italy. Elizabeth Barrett Browning lived out the rest of her days stripped of the love of her family. And although her mom and especially her dad, although they disowned her, Elizabeth never gave up. She wanted a relationship with them so almost weekly she would write a letter to her mom and dad every week And those letters are filled with with love and affection and a a pleading for reconciliation. In all of those years of her writing her parents never responded not even once. One afternoon Elizabeth Barrett Browning heard a thud at the door and she went to the door there was a box on the porch that the postman had left, it was from America. There inside the box were ten years worth of letters that she had written to her mom and dad and not one of them had been opened. Today you can find those letters, today those letters of Elizabeth Barrett Browning are some of the most beautiful examples of classic English literature in existence. If only her parents had read Elizabeth's message of reconciliation, they could have been spared a lifetime of heartache and estrangement. Now, in somewhat the same way, God has written a letter of reconciliation, a message of reconciliation in Christ. And He has made us, you, He has made us the messengers and He'll call us ambassadors and missionaries of the gospel. So here's what I want to do today. Today I hope to use this passage. To call you to live your life on mission for Christ. There are people all around this church, there are people all around each of us, there are people around where we live, where we work, where we go to school that are living in soulless agony because they don't know that they can be reconciled to God. And you and I have the key to unlock their joy in the gospel of Jesus. So what I'm hoping is that you and I can put our hand to the plow and open our mouths. Why? Because the message, the message of the gospel is reconciliation. Beautiful word, reconciliation. So let's take the next little bit Few moments together and let's just go through the passage. Let's pull out a couple of points and see if we can make some application. Here's the first point. Number one, our message is driven by hope. Our message is driven by hope. The Christian message is not a message of condemnation. The Christian message is an announcement of hope. Let me show it to you in verse 17. Let's start there. It's over. Verse 17 is overflowing with hope. Paul writes, therefore if anyone is in Christ, stop right there. If anyone, there's, there is no sinner, there is no sinner too far gone. There is no heart that's too hardened. There is no person too lost. There is no neighborhood too bad. There is no family too busy. There is no wall too high, no barrier too far, no chasm too deep. There is no sexual sin too twisted that the cross of Jesus can't overcome it. If that's the case, then I have great confidence when I go to speak to someone. Great confidence that we can talk about the grace of God overcoming those things. That we can engage the people around us. We live in a culture of death and Jesus has the words of life. Now look, maybe you don't see yourself as someone that has a message. Maybe you're an introvert. Maybe you don't feel like you can uh, share the gospel. Maybe you're not clear on how to do it. So every Sunday when I preach in the middle of a message I hope to talk a little bit about the gospel and explain what the gospel is that God is holy man's a sinner Christ saves and to have that you believe you turn from sin and believe We, we do that so that you might understand and know how to share the gospel but maybe you don't see yourself as a person with a message well in verse 17 notice what the text says if anyone is in Christ you see that little phrase That little phrase in Christ it is a glorious phrase that little phrase "in Christ" sums up in the briefest way, the most profound, the, prof- the most profound and inexhaustible significance of redemption, to be in Christ. I want you to be in Christ. If you're in Christ, you have security in him. In Christ you have security. And he, that means, when I say security, what I mean is that, that He has borne on his body. The judgment for our sin. You are not judged for your sins, Christ has been judged for your sins. At the cross, at the cross your sins are forever forgiven, you have been made free. There's great security in that. When you are in Christ you realize you have great acceptance, that God accepts you not because you're such a good person, you're not, you're a bad person. Welcome Nicker Grove, you're a bad person. Somebody please don't tweet that, you're a bad person. We have acceptance in Him. You see the, the Bible teaches that there was there's only one person with whom God has ever actually been well-pleased with, only one, Jesus Christ. That's we'll even say. There's been only one perfect person, Jesus Christ. That's true, but that's not to say that we aren't perfect, that's not why we say that. We say that because it is his perfection. It's his perfection that gives us our acceptance. You see, when you are in Christ, you are covered in the righteous, perfect life of Jesus. So God accepts you not because he's so kind and he just accepts sinners. No, God accepts you because you are in the righteous one, Jesus. We have acceptance in Christ not only that, we have assurance, we have assurance in Him. The Bible teaches that when God raised Jesus from the dead, I wonder why, why do we go to church on Sunday? We do so because Jesus was crucified on Friday, He kept the Sabbath on Saturday in the tomb completely and, and now our Sabbath is in Christ and on Sunday, the first day of the week, God raised Him from the dead so why do we go to church on the Lord's Day, Sunday. There is great assurance there. When when God raised Jesus from the dead, he promised that you will be raised from the dead. This is the hope we have when we go to preach a funeral. It's it's what we say. It's what we say when we baptize people. I hope you listen to the formula. All of that is done on purpose. When a pastor is baptizing someone here, you're in the baptistry, we will say something to the effect of buried with him in baptism in him, you see. Who died in him, raised with him to walk in new life. We have assurance in him. Well, not only that, verse 17 tells us that, uh, that we rejoice in him. We rejoice. That, that being in Christ is not a burden, it is having our burdens lifted. We rejoice in him. Look what the text says in verse 17, it's, it's unbelievable. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, which is remarkable, but I want to call your attention to the word behold. You ought to circle that word, behold. The text says the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. It's like Paul was writing it and he's overcome and he just sits back and thinks, can you believe this? Can you believe that how I used to be, the things that I did and said, the person that I was, it's not that I've just gotten better, it's that that's gone. And Paul says, it's unbelievable, but something new has come. It's an exclamation. It has this, uh, if you're reading it, it has this unmistakable, spontaneous feel of joy. it's, It's like he's overcome. It's like he just has to say, this is so good. Now, you take verse 17 in your Bible. And you ought to put your name by it. You ought to put your name by verse 17. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Verse 17 is the biography of every Christian. This gives us, you are the, re, this gives us a message of hope. Your life is evidence that there is hope. Our message, driven by hope. I'm going to give you something else to consider. Here's the second thing. Our message is founded on grace, on grace. So it's driven by hope. We're going down the road with hope. Verse 18 tells us we, we build it. The message is, is built, is founded on grace. Now, here's what I mean. If you're a guest with us today, you're hearing some of this for the first time, you thought Christianity was this weird legalism, you have to just follow all the rules Look, God has given us his law. God's law is there for our good. God's law tells us how we ought to live. God's law binds our conscience. God's law restrains us. God's law tells us where we sin. God's law is useful, yes. God's law doesn't save us, though. God's law shows us we need saving. That's what it's there for. It's a tutor to say, hey, look how much of a sinner you are. You need Christ. And so our message is built on grace. Notice what the text says in verse 18. See what Paul says? All. Just just read it. All this is from God. This is God doing it. God is the initiator. God is the finisher of our faith. Reconciliation in Jesus comes from God. It returns us back to God. If you read the Bible, you open up Genesis page one and you start there reading, you see God and His goodness creating everything including man and woman. He names them Adam and Eve. Creates the man and a woman in his image. The woman is created in the image of God. The man is created in the image of God. They are put together in this perfect place called the Garden of Eden. It's a perfect, wonderful place. Both of them, they are without clothing. They don't need it. It's not that cold. The Garden of Eden is perfect. But in that garden, something happens that Adam and Eve fall into sin. We call it the fall they sin and immediately they know something's wrong. They cover themselves, they hear God walking in the cool of the day, chapter 2 and chapter 3. God walks in the cool of the day and and this is what God says, where are you? He came looking for them, knew they had fallen into sin and from that point to this God has been seeking God is seeking restoration. God is the seeker. God is the sovereign one that is is controlling all of the events of the world. God is the mover. He is arranging the events of your life so that you might see your need for Christ. He is arranging the events of your life and the life of others so that you, when the time comes, might share Christ with someone whose life has been made ready by the sovereign God of the universe. But listen, he, God doesn't just initiate reconciliation. He doesn't just start the process and see if you'll, God initiates reconciliation. God completes reconciliation. Let me go back to verse 17. Man, I'm not getting very far, am I? Let us go back to verse 17. She'd be going, going the other way. I'm back up, verse 17. There's something I forgot back there. Let's go back to verse 17. One of the great promises of the Bible in verse 17, there is power in this verse. When when you come to Christ, you are made new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. As if you didn't get that, the old has passed. Behold, I can't believe it, the new has come. And you'll notice the text says that God, God does that. Verse 18, God does that. He transforms us. He, He changes us. God reprograms you. Verse 18 is a great word. It's a beautiful word. The word reconciliation is a beautiful word. you got to love the word reconciliation. In in this passage from verse 18 to verse 21, Paul uses it five times. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. It's one of the most beautiful words to describe what it means to become a Christian. And there are several great words to describe becoming a Christian. A Christian. One of my favorite words is the word justification. Justification justification is the courtroom language. It's the understanding that God is the ultimate judge. We stand before God who is the judge. There we stand under the sentence of guilty. The verdict is guilty. We stand there guilty. There's no getting around it. We committed the sins. We are guilty before God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The punishment for our guilt is death. That's true. But the gospel says that Jesus Christ came and he lived perfectly, but not only that, he comes and takes that sentence, stands in front of us and receives the condemnation, all that goes with it, and the sentence of death fell on him at the cross. And because of that, we received his righteousness and we are justified. It's a beautiful word. Not just justified. I love the word uh, sanctification. Sanctification sanctification is not in the courtroom. Sanctification is in the temple. It's, in the, in, it's Old Testament worship. Sanctification has to do with the sacrificial system. God is holy and we as sinners cannot approach His holiness to go into the temple. The priest must be sanctified. That sanctification happened through blood sacrifice. So all of the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament are foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ would once and for all do at the cross and so sanctification would happen when blood was shed. The Christian is sanctified when Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross and it's through that blood that we are cleansed and made holy to approach God. Sanctification, justification, sanctification, I love the word redemption. Redemption is a real earthy word. Redemption takes us not from the courtroom or the temple, not at church, but redemption takes us down to the back alleys where the slave market is. Walks us down there and there we see ourselves stripped of our clothing, filthy, nasty, chained up. Nobody knows our name and there we are, slaves. That's what sin does. It enslaves you. There you were enslaved and God comes and sees you there. There's nothing. You have nothing to offer Him. God comes and sees you in your enslavement and decides to put His love on you, to love you. Nothing about you made Him love. He just loves you. But to get you, He would have to pay a high price. That price is the life of His Son, Jesus. Jesus Christ dies on the cross to purchase, to redeem you. It's a beautiful word. God redeems you. He takes you out of the slave market. He cleans you up, puts clothes on you. He clothes you with the righteousness of Jesus that makes you part of his family and brings you home. It's Adoption. Adoption is another great word. Adoption. It means we were orphans in the world. <clears throat> we, we're without hope. This is what's going on outside of outside the church. Look, people outside the church are not our enemies. They're our mission field. They're not our enemies. This culture is not, be careful of the culture war. Yeah, we war against it, but we war against a culture and not people because our people are, are, are orphans in this world without hope. And, and by the, this is where we were, and by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, what happens is we are made children of God. we become the family of God. We are His family. Every one of those words is a wonderful word to display what it means to be a Christian. But reconciliation, that's in a whole different category. Reconciliation is, 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 uh, is its family language, it's friend language, it's it's affection. You see, we all were enemies. Of God because of our sin, enemies of God. You may, you don't have to hate God in your heart to be an enemy of God, you just are enemy of God. We neglect recognizing His good hand to all of those things that break His law and the Bible says that God was dreadfully angry that we had treated Him such and the truth of the matter is that It's not us that are the offended party. God was the offended. He's the one that had been wronged. And yet, although he is the offended party, God has taken the initiative. He has crossed the divide. He has solved the problem. And because of the cross, you can go from being an enemy of God to being his friend. A lot of people ask the question, what kind of God sends people to hell? That's the wrong question. It sounds good. Make a headline. It's the wrong question. Better question is, what kind of holy God would let sinners live? And the answer is a reconciling God. Not only that, you'll notice verse 18, at the very end of verse 18, he gives us, so we are reconciled to Christ, we are reconciled to God through Christ. Verse 18, the end, he says, now I've given you the ministry of reconciliation. Do you see it, verse 18? All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. He didn't just save us and he gave us, verse 18, the ministry of reconciliation. Look, brothers and sisters, Hickory Grove, there is no ministry, there is no service to our community more urgent than the ministry of reconciliation. There's, there's nothing more urgent. There is no, we're gonna do ministries this, look, this week, uh, this month, I should say. In the middle of the month, we'll do mercy ministries. Those are there to earn us the right to do the ministry of reconciliation. So we can share the gospel of Jesus. They're not an end and of themselves. that that takes us to the more important, which is the ministry of reconciliation. When we do trunk or treat coming up at the end of the month, that is not just so we can get people on the parking lot and they can have candy in a safe place. This is not primarily for safety. This is so that the people living around this church, now look, God has brought the nations to our back door and we've got the chance to have people come on this place so that we might have an opportunity to share the ministry of reconciliation. Brings me to my third point. I got to move quickly. I talk fast, but not as fast as Kyler, do I? I Take some small comfort in that. All right, number three. Number three, our message message is a clear one. Our message is a clear one. Look at the message. So 18 is a statement, 19 is the explanation. 18 is the statement, 19 is the explanation. Verse 19 is our message. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Pay close attention to verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world. Look how broad, look how broad that is. God calling out to the world to those around us, to anyone who have ears to hear, calling to the world in our city and in our nation, across the nations. And not only that, the ministry of reconciliation, be careful how you understand it, the ministry of reconciliation is primarily the announcement of what God has done. That's what verse 19 says. Verse 19 says, it is... That God is not counting their trespasses against them. That although you are a sinner, the ministry of reconciliation is God doesn't count that against you. Here's how he does it. Let me pause here and make the the gospel plain. And once you hear this, you now are accountable for what you hear. The gospel tells us, according to the Bible, that God created everything we see and created you in his image, man and woman. The image of God in us makes it so that we deserve to be respected. I respect you. You have the image of God in you. You have dignity. But that dignity, the image of God in us, has been disfigured by our own sin. We receive the sin nature from the parents all the way back to Adam and Eve. We, we You don't have to be taught to sin. You already know how to sin. Well, we not only have a sin nature, we actually commit sins. And those sins are not just things that are bad that society might think are bad. The sins the Bible teaches those sins are an offense to God. They are breaking his law. They, they make it so that we can't be in his presence and he won't be in ours. That's a problem. Because those sins bring with it punishment. The wages of sin is death, eternal death being eternity in hell. The, the gospel says, but that doesn't have to be the end of the that doesn't have to be the end of it for you. The Bible tells us that God in his love has given us Jesus, He's the God man, fully God fully man, had to be fully man because He's going to save men and women, humans. Fully man, He kept all of God's law for us. We can't do it, He did. And what happens at the cross, He also then takes the wrath of God. This is the Christian gospel. At the cross, God judges your sin, if you believe this, your sin on Jesus. He takes the wrath of God for you. The wages of sin is death, He dies a literal real death, Three days later on a Sunday, God raised him from the dead. He has since ascended into heaven. He is reigning as Lord. And the promise of the Bible, the gospel promises, if you believe that, if you'll turn from your sin, I hope that you will believe that. The Bible says you will be saved. And verse 19 says, if you already are a Christian, he has entrusted, he has deposited in you the message of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, you see it? Verse 20 says that we are ambassadors, do you see that? Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, yeah. ambassadors. I mean not just, not just we're working for God, we, we're not just on behalf of God, we represent. Yeah. That's what an ambassador does. If the church is the embassy and you as an ambassador, you leave the embassy, you take the message from King Jesus. Verse 20 says that it's so close. It's, I, I don't know what to do with verse 20. It's worth you looking at it and thinking about it, meditating on verse 20, that God makes his appeal through you. What an odd verse. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And here's the appeal. We implore you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's, there's a lot here in verse 20. It's amazing that God that God speaks when you share the gospel. It's amazing to me. If that's the case, then then we have an obligation. We have an obligation to faithfully and precisely proclaim the message deposited and trusted in us. We've got to clearly be able to say the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, the saving power of Jesus Christ on the cross, the need for repentance and faith. We have an obligation to faithfully and precisely preach that. Another obligation from verse 20, We. We must have a deep concern. How hard-hearted do you have to be to look at people and not think they're going to hell? I mean, if we actually believe people are going to die one day and go to hell, how can we not have a conversation that's uncomfortable? There's a deep concern, verse 20. the end of verse 20, you just hear him and just, I implore, you see that at the end of verse 20? I implore you, I beg you. If you're not a Christian here today, I I want to beg you to at least consider to be reconciled to God through Christ. You've heard the gospel. God will save you. God God has given us Jesus. He loves you. And I implore you on behalf. That's, That's the tone of this, of Christ be reconciled to God. There's an urgency. That's why we take a month. That's why we're taking a month just to think. To concentrate, to remind ourselves that as the church, you are an embassy of the king. As an individual, you are an ambassador of the king. We have a message to deliver. Our message is driven by hope, our message is focused on grace. Our message is a clear one. I'll say one more thing and I'll, I'll be done. Number four. Our message is the glory of the gospel. The glory of the gospel. Verse 21. I don't know know how else to put it. Verse 21 is so magnificent. There, There is, in the whole Bible, there is no sentence more profound in all of scripture than these 15 words. In 15 words, Paul has set forth the gospel of reconciliation in all of his of its mystery and wonder. In fact, that's how I'll close. Let's just go through it. Join me there. Verse 21. You just keep looking at verse 21. For our sake, you understand that God loves you, right? That He came after you. For God love so loved the world. For our sake, there is, there is grace. There is God pursuing you, not you pursuing Him. For our sake, He made Him. He did it. God did this. This is God coming. This is all of grace. The text says that He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. The perfect one, Jesus. Here's the great exchange. You can put it beside in the margin if you like. The great exchange where Christ takes our sin, gives us His righteousness right here, verse 21. He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. That means that, that He would be counted as the focal point of all of the accumulated sins of all his people across all of history, he made him to be sin. Why? So that, there's a cause there, so that in him, come to Jesus, this is what happens, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, here is the glory of the Christian gospel. Here, here, here is the reason. Here's the reason we are on mission. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Would you join me as we close our time of preaching today? In a time of commitment and prayer, why don't you bow your heads with me. I'd like to have uh, this song be an invitation. I'd like to make it a three-part invitation. The first is this. This morning, if, if you're here and you've heard this and God has moved in your heart, you realize you need to be reconciled to God. You want to be reconciled to God. We're going to stand and sing in a minute, and when we do, I'm just going to ask you to come forward. Right down here. Our pastors are here. You'll, you'll find the part over to my right. Find one of the pastors and say, i don't need to talk about this. For some reason, if you're not comfortable with that, uh, they'll be in the lobby after church. We need to talk about what it means for you to be reconciled to God. Another part of this invitation is that you you hopefully have, have got in your mind someone someone you need to have a conversation with. You need to share Christ with. And you want to pray, ask God to give you courage. You want to have one of the pastors pray with you when we sing. It's a great time to come forward. Or, or maybe today you've... Uh, you realize you've been treating church just sort of like a habit and you've been reminded today it's really an embassy and you are an ambassador. And you want to commit to representing Christ and delivering the message that has been entrusted to you. Father, we thank you for the grace you give us in Jesus. Thank you for the chance to worship. Thank you for calling us. We pray that you would find us faithful. We pray you find this church faithful that we would serve you, that we would speak, that we would open our mouths to speak the gospel. Thank you for reconciling us. Thank you for giving us the ministry of reconciliation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.